This League Podcast Network presents Prospect One, the Fantasy Prospect Podcast. Prospect One, with your host, Chris Welsh. This is the Fantasy Baseball Prospect Podcast, Prospect One. What's up, everybody? It's your host, Chris Welsh. You can find me on Twitter at IsItTheWelsh. And everything that Prospect One, myself, or in this league has going on is at patreon.com slash army. We did the rank update over the last week, uh, maybe sometime it was earlier this week. The top 500 in Dynasty got what I call a soft update on Patreon, where the other things like the team position, first-year player, those didn't get the big boost, but I did get some stuff out so you guys could see where we're heading And the next update will be in the first week in September. So if you're holding tight, which I don't blame you, uh, it's only a couple days left in the month, you can hold off. And September 1st, you can come and sign up on Patreon, and then you can get the brand new update. Plus, we've got a brand new Break This League event coming up. We've got Prospect One Group Me Rooms, which have been fantastic. And this is a great time to get those last little bits in while you're heading into the end of your season, minor league season ends a little bit later in September, which I think I completely forgot, you know, with all the weird adjusting and shifting. Uh, But this is going to be the last coming month of the minor league season, but it doesn't mean that's the last bit of coverage. We've got a lot in the group me rooms, plus everything I'll be doing. But if you want to support me, especially in the off season, you want the stuff and you want to be involved, come and check us out, patreon.com slash army. And I'd mentioned this in the prospect one room, which is kind of a cool thing, but we will be doing another round of P180P mocks, and I'm going to have it coincide at the end of the season. So it will probably be something we do in October leading up into the Arizona Fall League. And if you are a prospect knowledgeable person, the way you get in those is being a part of the Patreon. So you might want to come and check that out as I will be setting those up here in the near future and asking some of the industry friends as I work through trying to create the best that I can an ADP system for prospects. And what'll be good about this version we do is this, I'm going to have try to have more data this year where we'll do a first round of this and then we'll do another one, you know, in the back end of uh, this year and then another one towards the beginning and see, you know, who all we can get, how much, and that will create a good sense of ADP for this season and uh, give you a little bit of advantage. So patreon.com slash ITL army. Today on the episode, we are going through prospect updates. It's just a me episode, by the way, so you're going to have to deal with me. And I've got a couple things, obviously my news and notes, which I'll get through here in a little bit. We're going to go through some of the bigger name prospects and some of the spotlight and performances, and then I've got a deeper look. I've actually, I didn't even realize, I've got more stuff on the deeper end than I've had in just a little bit, but this is just giving you an idea of where ranks are moving, where players are going with the final month of the season. Um, you're getting some last minute promotions. You're getting some players move through. My guy, George Valera, just got bumped up to double A as he's been dominating. I also see it as a little bit of, you know, preparation. I think teams will start to just tiny bits, but they'll start to show their hands a little bit on what, you know, they're looking for at the end of the year. Something like George Valera going up to double A for the Arizona Fall League because, you know, double A and higher is usually the restriction they have with a couple whatevers. But you see guys that, um, you see guys that move up to double A that can start to be a little bit of a, tel- a telltale sign that they're going to, you know, be playing in the Arizona Fall League and what type of coverage we're going to get going into October. Cause we're not going to have that big of a lull. You know, I think most of the seasons, if I remember correctly, it's like, 
mid to late September is where the rest of the leagues end. And then I think AAA kind of coincides with the end of the regular season. And then these guys are going to have like two weeks before the fall league sets up. So there's not like a big separator before, but this is kind of the last hurrah. Usually this last month. I mean, you, you see it. I, I remember like Marco Luciano, I think it was, and like Corbin Carroll and, you know, Christian Robinson and stuff. They got little pushes for like 10 games or something. But usually you're going to see it with this like last month. Uh, we saw a little bit of an exodus, I'll tell you about, in the complex league. So players are getting called up and whatnot. But at the end of the day, what we're going through, whether it's the top guys, the lower guys, we're kind of giving you a sense of where things are finally moving and how some of these guys are settling themselves out and maybe even getting a couple Dominican guys that are going to come over and play in the complex league with this last month. So we are just going to update. You can, you know, get inside my brain of where some of these guys are moving. Most of these guys we talk about are players that are going to be kind of moving up in the ranks and are solidifying different things. So it's a good old prospect update as we are coming to the end of August. And I still have an expectation. I'm still expecting at least some news on the fall league in the coming like week or two. Uh, I really think the end of August is where they would do it. I kind of think it's going to be the 31st, which would be Tuesday. But I don't know. I know there's a lot more uncertainty, um, especially Arizona and how they're going to approach it. They could wait longer than ever. So maybe it might just be an announcement of what the teams are going to be. You know, what will the Salt River Rafters, what five teams will encompass them? But usually they like to have like a big news dump where they, you know, tell you the players and whatnot. And it, it, you may need to get out of August, so it might be a little bit longer. I'd be surprised if we get past like September 15th and we don't have like full set rosters. But we will be on the lookout for some Arizona Fall League news dump because that will, you know, that's going to encompass part of our offseason and, you know, what guys we're going to get to see. And this episode is brought to you in part by Sid's Graphs. My guy Dennis not only has a killer business of setting people up with access to players, his exclusive client list is ridiculous, but also, you know, a little thing to remember, he was on my podcast like last year or during the pandemic, and we had talked about Dennis was also a guy that sometimes get these guy gets these guys like their first bit of extra money, you know, and helps them out. And, you know, these are these first big chunks during the minor league season and, you know, money tied up in other things, whether they, you know, did get big bonuses or not. That's kind of a cool thing. And Dennis has got a an incredible list. And as a matter of fact, I would suggest going to Sid's Graphs or check out Sid's Graphs on eBay because over the next two weeks, the list he has is nuts of players he is doing signings with. He just did one with Riley Green. That's his client. Andrew Vaughn, Joe Adele, Luis Robert, Brandon Marsh. Holy, holy crap. Jaron Duran, another one is coming in. All of those in the next couple weeks. It's a little late probably for you to get anything sent in, but he also has just everything under the sun from helmets and bats and cards that you can check out if that's something that you're into. Plus, you might want to follow along with him so you know when the next private signings are so you can maybe send in some of your own stuff if you would like. So go support someone that supports me, Sid's Graphs, online, on Twitter, and on eBay. Do it today. The good and the bad. This is what I got in this last week. I did get to catch a couple games. As a matter of fact... I had one. I had one of those really good days, and there's actually a listener of uh, of my show who's become a friend, who is moving out here and happened to be out here, and he trekked along with me, and we did a double header game day. But let me tell you about the big news because it ended over here, and this was the good news that turned into bad news. 
I went over to the Brewer side in Maryville where Jordan Lawler was making his having his second game debut. He had actually debuted last Saturday, got a hit, got a stolen base in there. Uh, this was right after, you know, a couple days after I had talked to Eric Longenhagen about him being out here and he made his debut. So this was on Monday where the second half of our trek gets over to uh, uh, Maryville and Jordan Lawler is in the lineup. And as a matter of fact, Bryce Jarvis is also rehabbing, which is fantastic. We get there and we get there right, right as Jordan Lawler gets taken out of the game. Now things maybe make a little bit more sense. It's not uncommon. There's a couple things here. It may not have been even tied to this, but the rookies don't usually go past like three at-bats in here. It's happened with Harry Ford, with Edwin Arroyo. I mean, just really any of these guys, the first like week that they're here, you don't see the the drafted high school guys get more than three at-bats. And they're, they're just kind of churning through the lineup. Lawler in this second game had a strikeout. He got another hit. And I think he might have had a like a line-out or something. It was like one for three. And like literally as we get there, he comes out of the game. So after the game, get to actually talk with him for a second, see how he's doing, it's good spirits. Uh, also talked to Bryce Jarvis, who Bryce Jarvis had a, a really, really great game. You know, and it's, it's kind of funny when you play comparisons. You know, I, I know people are excited about McKenzie Gore, who made his second start. And I, I unfortunately wasn't able to get out to that. Even though it was accessible, I couldn't there. And it was, you know, it, from all intents and purposes, it was kind of in line with where he was before. Um Three walks, seven strikeouts. He did go five and two-thirds. I think he gave up a hit or two. Uh, but he was effectively wild again, if you will. You know, he had, a, he had a couple more walks, which you don't want to see. But as I was told by somebody who's in a great mood after, I think it went a lot better than the, uh, the previous outing that I was in. So that's good. But Bryce Jarvis comes out here and was electric. And he was, he was feeling it as well. Three innings. He gave up one hit and struck out seven. I mean, good Lord, he, there was no walks. I mean, he was dominant out here. So I catch Lawler. Um, this team is pretty stacked too. Alvin Guzman is kind of a guy for the Diamondbacks, a uh, big dude. And he's, he's pretty intense guy. And Wildred Patino was out here. I talked with him a little bit too. There was a, um, <laughs> he killed me. There was a incident where a player got called for interference and it wasn't interference. And the ump, and the manager got into it. And Wildred was standing right next to me. Uh, yeah, I'm sitting you know, right at the front of the, you know, the the stands or the first seats. And he's right there. And he, I can't say the things he was saying, but he was like, this is a joke. You have got to be... <laughs> like, he had all the comments about this. And it was just funny seeing him be in, so involved, you know, at complex level. And he really was. And it looks like he's also beefed up a little bit but he's at, it's an injury-riddled season, as most of the Diamondbacks really have had as well. Top prospects, you know, Robinson's been a disaster, Corbin hurt. Um, Wilder Patino, I think, has a lot of potential. And I'm actually really encouraged by, by the power boost, but or, or you know, the, the physicality and how it's grown a little bit. And he's got a great approach, but, you know, he just still hasn't seen enough. And, and he actually left the rehab assignment after that game. So that's all the positive. Cool. I got to see Lawler in person a little bit, interact with his teammates, very well beloved, um, projectable body, nice kid. But the bad news came. And I don't know if this was because of that game and maybe why he came out or during um, warm up practice or something, because he did not 
play in the next game, which by the way, the next game the Diamondbacks played was against the Padres and Mackenzie Gore. And I was kind of thinking of, you know, trying to get out there to see both of them, but Lawler didn't play. And then Lawler didn't play again. And then Lawler didn't play again. And we're like, what the what's going on here? Or he didn't, I guess they didn't play on Wednesday, so they don't do that. The news comes down on Friday that Jordan Lawler is out for the year with a shoulder injury, and he's going to have an off-season, off-season uh, shoulder surgery. Brutal. Brutal. I mean, theoretically, in my mind and some other minds, the top pick in first-year player drafts out for the year practically doing nothing. You know, he played two games. He had a hit in both games. But you've got these other guys that are starting to stack up. You know, we're going to talk in just a tiny bit about some of the draft guys. There's been some big performances. You know, Marcella Meyer is doing a little bit of thing. The other shortstops are kind of popping up a little bit. I think there's a legit chance that people are going to let Lawler fall um, because of this, just simply because other guys are getting to perform and there's a little bit more uh, insight on it. Lawler's still got a little strikeout thing. I think he struck out in both games that he played as well, but he got hits. He got a stolen base. You know, he we didn't get to show off any of the power and shoulder injuries are not the best, but you know, it, it's nothing too crazy lost and he'll just rehab and hang out throughout the, the off season. And then he'll hit it hard next year with a full season assignment. I fully expect that. But Lawler out for the season sucks. It big time sucks. Um, as far as some of the other guys on that day that I saw, I got to see Harry Ford and Edwin Arroyo again. Edwin Arroyo is definitely a toolsy dude. He's aggressive, though. Um, there was an inning the Cubs were just the worst I've seen. It was one of the worst outings I've ever seen by the pitchers. They churned the entire uh, Mariners lineup in the first inning. It, Arroyo started the inning, and he got a second at bat through the inning. They were wild, throwing pitches everywhere, hitting guys. Guys are getting hits on them. It was crazy how bad they were. Uh, Arroyo definitely has... He has like a five-tool body. He's got speed. I worry that he's going to... I worry that like massive contact is going to be an issue. Like pitch recognition is not in his alleyway right now, but I think it can get there. Harry Ford, on the other hand, there was some stuff about him like in striking out and, you know, I don't know, some plate aggression issues, some plate discipline issues in high school. Both times I've seen him now that I've really sat down, at least in his first two plate appearances, this is, you know, whatever, he has had like three-minute at-bats. I mean, he works counts. Again, the pitching is bad here, and I've seen him walk multiple times now, and he did that. It was a, I have it on video. It's a three-and-a-half-minute at-bat in that first inning where he just fights. He doesn't let himself get too far behind. I think he's just really impressive, and... You know, I know some people don't have him in the top 100 and where he goes in first year player is divisive because he's also a catcher and I agree, but he definitely has the potential to move off the position. He's athletic. I think he's already showing off pretty good plate discipline. I don't know if he's showing good plate discipline, but I don't think so far the pitch recognition is all fully there that he can take advantage of it because he's not making like great, great contact. He's just not getting fooled, but I think he's a pretty studly player. Melker Perez, by the way, also with the Mariners, has been really great. Uh, he just doesn't have a homer. He has no power to speak of, but he's like a Noel V. Marte clone. As far, like physically, he looks like a Noel V. Marte clone. Also got to see uh, Preciado, who Preciado just, you know, speaking of clones, it's like a Brennan Davis clone out there. Uh, he got beat a little bit on a high fastball. He was trying to cheat with his, uh, his arms up a little bit, just pumped it into the ground, but almost beat it out. 
but I still love him, and he's as good as ever. James Triantos also uh, has a lot of comps like Alex Bregman. Big physical kid. Kind of intense, too. I, I kind of dig him. And uh, Kevin Alcantara did not play, of course, in the game I was at because of a hand injury. And it was funny. He was showing someone his, his hand right before the game, but then he was in the next day's game. So it doesn't look like it's an issue because, you know, it's funny. The Lawler thing... Well, not just the Lawler thing. There's there's another big piece of news I'm going to tell you about. It's super interesting when you're down here in the complex levels. And I know I'm focusing on Arizona. And someone mentioned, like, you know, could I focus more on uh, the Florida? I do need to do that. And But there isn't a, a me in Florida. Like, there are people that cover the Florida League, but they don't do podcasting as far as I know how I go out to the complex level. So I tend to be a little bit to that. But this applies to both leagues where people don't pay attention a ton about you know, the players and game logs and stuff like that, because you don't get constant updates, but also you don't get injury updates. And it's because the rosters are so big, they really don't have any requirement to put them on IL because they don't have to make room for them. And little than not, does anybody care about any updates or season ending stuff? And where Jordan Lawler, you know, because he's a top pick, also the Diamondbacks were playing in Chase Field on Friday. And I think you had more reporters and probably people asking questions that that popped up. There's another guy that's out for the year, and it's Maximo Acosta, and nobody knows that. And you know how I know? And how I saw it? I was told a week a week and a half ago, I asked uh, someone that I know around here, like, where's Maximo? I haven't seen him. I hadn't seen him in weeks. And he just wasn't even playing. Some of the guys are tapering down since he was playing since day one, but he just is not playing. And someone said, oh, he's got a shoulder thing. He was, you know, walking around. He was doing stuff, good spirits. He said he had a shoulder thing. Then all of a sudden on his Instagram on Friday... He shows himself in a hospital with a surgical gown and going under. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh. So you got to forgive me. I don't know if it's the shoulder or it was a wrist. It kind of looked like because he had his his arm and wrist um, covered and it didn't look like his shoulder. Maybe it's his wrist and I'm just convoluting it. It doesn't matter either way. Maximo Costa is going to be out for the year. You're not going to re- recover from that surgery and come back and play a couple games. And he even said in it, you know, 2022. So Maximo is out for the year, but there's just no coverage of that stuff. So, you know, when you're paying attention you know, to these guys, you really want to watch and, you know, look at game logs and see, has the guy been out there for a bit? And, and my example for frustration for people was Carson Tucker. You know, what was it? One of the first couple days of the, um, the complex level, I, I got to the Indians and I talked with Carson and, he had the wrist, you know, uh, brace on, and he was like, oh, it's just a little thing. I'll be back out there. He obviously underplayed it to me because he obviously must have broke it because he still has not played, and there's nothing out there. I mean, I, I haven't even seen Indians Perspective um, release the news. I was the one that broke it to him, and there's been no updates, just they're not playing out there. So there's, like, no news. So it gets wishy-washy, and it also becomes part of that, you know, out of sight, out of mind type of thing. That's why I think Lawler could end up being a little bit of advantage. You know what I mean? Like having, it might even be better than ever to have like the second or third pick. There's a legit possibility Lawler could be like three in in leagues where you might have Meyer go one and maybe someone want Jack Leiter at two. Lawler with the surgery, or some of these other guys might jump him out of sight, out of mind. Carson Tucker, another one of those. He just didn't get to do much of anything out here out of sight, out of mind. People were freaking out about Isaiah Green before he was out here. Green who probably needs to get the hell out of here. Green's got like the fourth best OBP in the entire league, you know, and he hasn't shown a ton, a ton of power, but making contact, showing great pitch recognition and discipline and, you know, looking like Michael Brantley light 
that's a dude. And, you know, that first month when, or really the first two months when nothing was going on, people are freaking out and wanting to move off of Isaiah Green. So take advantage of those things. There's probably some of those instances in uh, the Florida Complex League that I would need to pay more attention to. But those are a couple here. Lawler out for the year. Maximo out for the year. Neither one of those guys are like, you know, well, with surgeries as well, but they're not like optional guys to go and play in like the fall league or anything like that. Uh, Tyler Soderstrom is another one I was, I got some info about that he's nursing an injury that looks like it's going to prevent him from moving up. And like, those are guys that are not going to be fall league players or even Dominican winter league players. Uh, And then also there's been a mass exodus of players that are moving levels and getting out of here, whether, and, and that's why I think you could start seeing some of the Dominican summer league players they could start moving up and getting a little bit of a taste. Specifically, um, Bayron Laura would be one I would think the Rangers might want to get on the back half of the year. Though I know there was some there was some stuff. There was like a, a whole thing that I don't know if there's any visa issues or whatever. Uh, I couldn't tell you. Uh, and there's a couple players uh, in the deeper I'm going to tell you about. One specific guy that I think could be coming up very soon as some of these other players move. Like Arovera with the Angels called up and watch out for him. He was and is currently still, even though he got called up for a day or two, the leader in extra base hits out here in the Fall League. The leader in extra base hits. That's that's pretty impressive. And I have been, I think he was also, now that I'm thinking about it, which was one of, um, I'm trying to pull him up here actually as I'm doing this. Let's see, Arovera. He was one of those guys too that, he didn't have any homers, but he's already been shown. I, I think like it's something not to read much into because he was the leader. I, I believe this is correct in doubles in the entire complex league. He's played one game. How is this possible? Did he pinch? No, it's just one game. He got six at bats in his first game and he was two for six with three runs and a ball as he moved up plus a stolen base. He left the fall league. Uh, the fall league, the complex league with 16 doubles, two stolen bases, and his first game in A ball, he already got two hits and a stolen base. Which, again, I've been telling you about this guy, this 18 year old kid. He's very impressive, and if those doubles start turning into power, he's got some stolen base potential. That's a that's a dude. The most impressive, and it, this was a bummer because I had uh, that game. I told you with the Mariners and Cubs, I was all excited to get to get one more round of Owen Casey. And that day, Owen Casey got called up and he's moved up. And Casey is one of those guys that, you know, I know I know people have jumped on and I think you need to be a little bit light about, but boy, Casey had a dominant, dominant run out here. And then kind of like Arovera, he goes up to eight ball. He's had nine at bats, three for nine already with five runs scored, three RBIs and more walks and strikeouts, four walks to two strikeouts in a ball in that jump. Those are big deals. Those are big, massive jumps for guys that have been just with garbage pitching out here. And it really, really shows you how impressive that is. Uh, Alexander Ramirez was another guy that called up. There's been plenty. There's also some college guys. Uh, Justice Thompson and Christian Franklin were out here. They both bumped up. So you're seeing some of the the complex level guys move up. I couldn't tell you why teams are doing other, you know, why is... Isaiah Green not up. I don't know. I can't tell you. You know, some might ask why hasn't Preciado or um, or uh, Alcantara moved up. I mean, I think some of these places are really good for them. But there's a lot of movement around the complex level, and 
you know, some news and notes that are starting to pick up. Another one is Joey uh, Cantillo, former Padre who is now with the Indians, is also rehabbing and he's out here and he is pitching while he's recovering. I believe it was from Tommy John, if I'm remembering correctly. So if you guys have been waiting on him, he's looming around. So I'm hoping to get to some more games over the next week or so. Uh, We really are into the last kind of dog days. I've got a couple focuses, but the teams have changed. You know, the Angels went from a team that were, you know, like you really want to see to kind of a lot of their studs have, have gone. So, you know, they're not a big target. Love to see Carson Tucker with the Indians, but, you know, he is not out here. But there are a couple new guys, you know, Diamondbacks as well, losing Jordan Lawler really hurts. But there's a couple new faces out here, and hopefully some um, Dominican Summer League players might pop up as we head to the end of this minor league season. You know, this is our final run here as we are going to start setting these guys, and I'm kind of making some of my final opinions on the complex level and, you know, who has impressed and who has not. And then we get to see guys like Mackenzie Gore, you know, cross my fingers. Maybe I'll get lucky. Maybe he'll have a third start out here as they're trying to reestablish him. And I will definitely, definitely target that one. All right, let's get into uh, the guys. We've got some deeper looks and then we've got some of the top end guys. You know about some of the top end guys, but it doesn't mean we're not going to talk about them. Let's do it right after this. Say, I like you. I like you so much, I'm going to make you my partner. All you have to do is find the gold, and I'll share it with you 50-50. Prospect one. Boy, does the man not need any introduction, but Bobby Witt just keeps rocking. And Bobby Witt is one of only a small handful of guys. Let me see if I can do this. I got a whole bunch of different stuff up here, uh, but let me see if I can pull this up for you. He is one of only a handful of 2020 players. So 20 homers and 20 stolen bases. And I think people were already comparing if he were to not be called up, that he's got the chance to be the next, you know, Luis Robert in going 30-30, which is a possibility. Now, Bobby Wade is not the youngest, which actually might, you know, jump up as one of the more impressive feats to this. But let me go backwards and see if I can give you, let's, let's, we're going to do all the 2020 guys. So we've got Josh Lowe at 23 years old in AAA has 20 homers, 21 stolen bases. Boom. Bobby Witt, 27 home runs, 21 stolen bases, hitting 296 with 77 runs, 80 RBIs. Incredibly impressive. And just barely topped over 100 strikeouts. He's got um, well over 430 plate appearances in that time. Uh, in comparison, Josh Lowe has... Let's see, quite a bit less runs, RBIs, about the same strikeouts. They both have the same um, stolen bases. Josh Lowe hitting 269. So there's two players. It's quite a list that we can pull from. We've got Romy Gonzalez, 24 year old in double A with the White Sox, 22 uh, stolen bases, 23 homers, a 276 batting average. So there's three players. Uh, Here's a couple more Izzy Wilson who I think we used to be with the Braves, 23 years old at double-A with uh, the Angels, 25 homers, 21 stolen bases. I talked about him before. So like these guys also, you know, 23, 24-year-olds in double-A, we're not discounting or anything like that, but, you know, it's something, it's, it, we're not giving them the exact same credit. Plus a lot of these guys, smaller average. Izzy Wilson, a 247 batting average. Uh, Joey Weimer, who I talked about last week with Milwaukee, get him the hell out of A-ball because he's only in A-ball and he's 22 years old, but he does have a 2020 season. 20 homers, 25 stolen bases, and he has the best average of any of these guys at 297. So I believe, what are we at, five players 
And then number, is that number one? I think this is gonna be number one on the list. Let me just double check here. So it'll be six total players that have accomplished it. Number one, no surprise, is Anthony Volpe, who is the youngest of all of the players. That's the big key. If you Now, if you wanted to sort that list by under 22, it is literally Bobby Witt and Anthony Volpe. That's it. Volpe, you know, he continues to rise crazy in every list. I mean, Pipeline dropped that bomb where they put him at like 15 overall, I believe it is. And I think James has got him at 12. I don't quite have him there. Doesn't mean he's, he's not warranted or anything like that. But, um, you know, we're, we're I've got him in the 30s. I got him in the 30s. I think that's a really good spot. But listen, 20 homers, 28 stolen bases, hitting 300, the best average of all of them. He's got 94 runs, which I believe leads baseball. I mean, look here. I think, yeah, that leads all of the minor leagues in runs by 12 is Anthony Volpe plus 71 RBIs and maybe one of the most impressive stats. I mean, I get why if you want to go balls to the wall on Anthony Volpe, uh, I still have some questions of like how insanely high the power will develop as he moves through some other levels, but he is such a pro hitter, which is so unique. He has 94 runs, 71 RBIs, 71 walks to 82 strikeouts, which is a bonkers number. Also, he is, he's in the top 25, I believe, or top 30 of hit by pitches in all of the minor leagues. He's got 13, which I want to say there's only a, yeah, there's a couple guys that has a couple younger guys that have a few more than him. Uh, Eddie's Leonard with the Dodgers, who's in a, uh, uh, advanced a has got uh, 15 hit by pitches. Brian Ramos with the White Sox, who's 19 years old, has 15. So there's a couple of those guys out there. But I didn't mean to make this all about Anthony Volpe necessarily, uh, even though you know he deserves the discussion. Both Witt and Volpe, I think from a youth age perspective, are up there. But Bobby Witt, I can't get over you know where we're sitting at in the last. Um, he's got the fourth most homers in the last 30 days in the minor leagues with nine which is incredibly impressive. Uh, the number two guy, by the way, is his roommate and his teammate, Nick Prado, who's 22 years old, has 10 homers, hitting 282. In that time, Bobby Witt, though, does have a 279 batting average, which dropped just a tiny bit, but his K percentage is still manageable, almost double-digit walks in that time. Bobby Witt is like... That battle, that internal battle I have of that number one spot of Witt versus uh, Julio Rodriguez is truly the biggest struggle. It, it's the biggest struggle I remember since Vlad and Acuna. Like, legit. I feel relatively confident. I, you know, I think a lot of other people will be like, oh, Wander Kelnick, that was an issue for me. You know me. I, I was Team Wander. There was no question about it. I was even probably aggressively annoying about it, picking on the, the, the Kelnick stuff. I look good on that right now. But I don't remember this type of debate in my head since that one. And I had flip-flopped those guys, uh, Vlad and Acuna. And I think we could be in a similar state because Bobby Witt... And I've had, you know, a couple people were posting some trades. Some of Dynasty League still have trades coming up to the back end of um, August. And specifically, one of my boys had sent one where Bobby Witt was involved. And I was like, listen, dude, you just got to take him out. You just gotta, I mean, I know, you know, I try not to like mute this thought but in dynasty you're you play dynasty to win you know and prospects are their asset class is never bigger until they come up and there's an argument to say that maybe that's peak value unless they work 
You've got to be really certain when you decide that this is an untouchable player. Because I would say more often than not, you know, plenty of like hardcore dynasty guys would say like, listen, you got to win and you, you use prospects to sell them. But like, I'm very, very specific about the ones I don't want. And they're usually right at the top. Not always, but you know, I pick a few. Wander was one that there's just nothing I want to trade for. And Wit is another one of those. And the class of where he has been on the season is immense. And, you know, there are guys, there's, there's guys, you know, you look at Volpe and you say, well, maybe this, this is another one of those guys. It might be great plate discipline. I think the power, power numbers are nothing that I expected that, that I think it was one of the biggest shockers for me with uh, Anthony Volpe was like, holy crap, you know, where did this power come from? He was always going to steal bases. He was always going to walk and not strike out a ton. But now, you know, he's turned himself into this like massive, like crazy five tool player that I think, I mean, I don't even think I clearly nobody actually saw happening. Nobody saw that coming together. But over the last 30 days, I would say Volpe's had like a four and a half percent home run rate. Um, you know, I just don't know if the home runs are going to hold up through the entirety, but him flashing this does tell you a lot. It already tells you a lot. And, you know, I was thinking about this. This might be an interesting dynasty debate, dynasty or prospect debate, because he still qualifies. But, you know, at this point, Vidal Brujan or Anthony Volpe, we're getting close. You know, I think it's super close. I, I mean, I think I'm not looking at James List or anything, but I want to guess he might have Volpe ahead. And I think those are a little bit more in line because I, and it's actually making me think about reestablishing maybe where I have both of these guys because I need to talk to a few people, but like if Volpe's power, and it does feel a little bit more real, if it's more real, he's as much of a base threat and he's even, I think, more of an established hitter. And I think, you know, the less strikeouts in an OBP league, in an OBP league, Anthony Volpe is probably unquestionably a top 15 prospect right now. If you play in an OBP league, like I said, I've got him in the thirties. I'm trying to hedge just a tiny bit. Uh, Volpe has been very good. Definitely. Like, let's take a look here. We'll do this together. This is what this show is all about, right guys? As we, we sometimes just on the fly, we got lots of stuff prepped, but then it's like, let's go take a look at breakdown by month. There was a prospect I w- I'm always interested in looking at, you know, some of the the months and how they might specifically inflate a player. I use inflate like lightly, by the way. But, you know, that happened with Vidal Bruhan. You know, he was uh, he was propped up really heavy by that first month of the season. And Volpe's had a lot of different swings as I'm looking through this. And he's got a couple different levels, so you have to monitor that, but he started the year off hitting 239 in May. And he dominated on stolen bases. It looks like about 35, 30 to 35% of his stolen bases came in the first month because he had 11 of them, but there was no big power push. The next month in June, that's where the big power push came and the batting average jumped up. So again, 239 in May. In June, he hit 392, eight more stolen bases with seven homers. So that's a big home run change, which also might start to show, you know, like a little bit more what he's about. It was kind of a muted month the next month where he hit 333, which was solid, four homers, a couple stolen bases. And then in August, he kind of pared back down um, on batting average, four homers, five stolen bases, 275. So 
you know, that he has one month that really propped up the stolen bases, one month that propped up the power, but he's shown himself to be probably in that 20 to 25 home run power guy if this keeps working. And he's probably also another 25. I mean, you could argue by looking at the stolen base numbers that, oh, he's a, you know, 20, 40 guy, maybe. But I think it's easy to say he's a 25, 25 guy with really good on base skills. And he's doing all of this at 20 years old. So that's why he's so impressive. And that's why, like, I think it's interesting that when you compare younger ages to production, you know, Volpe kind of is following Wit a little bit. And that's something to monitor. And, and that, you know, I'm kind of like bringing myself down a little bit because I'm not, you know, I'm not known for the meteoric rises, these crazy rocket ship rises. But I mean, I've made a big jump. There's no denying what he's doing is, you know, I mean, probably deserve it of a top 20. I'm just looking at the big picture, but I would say his value right now. So I think there's also a difference between rank and value. And that's something I want to kind of cover in the off season, maybe a little bit is creating a, uh, I've talked about like trade value charts, but even like, you know, a value chart of, of some sort where, you know, it's almost a check mark of who are the buzz guys. Volpe is that guy. Cause he checks off so many boxes that he is the buzziest of buzz guys that, you know, maybe, I'm going to end him as a top 25 prospect, but he's probably worthwhile of inside the top 15 as far as what he's done on the season. But, you know, we don't want to go too, too crazy into counting that. Another guy, by the way, that over the last 30 days, I just wanted to point out who has been incredibly, incredibly valuable is George Valera, who in that same time, he's right under Bobby Witt, eight homers. He's had three stolen bases, hitting 268 with a 479 OBP. And in that time, it's going to be probably tough over 30 days, but I want to say that's one of the higher. Yeah, no, it's still up there. I mean, that 479 is like top 12, I think. And that's it's counting like weird ones. If you discount guys that had under 50 at bats, holy crap. Let me look at this. If you discount less than 50 plate appearances, he is number four in OBP over that time. The guys that he's with are... Uh, Scott Manaya with a double A 25 year old with the Astros, but Colton Kowser and Julio Rodriguez, Julio Rodriguez. I'm actually throwing in there. He only had 48 plate appearances. So technically that would make George Valera third in that time of highest OBP. And he's the only player with a hundred or more plate appearances in the last 30 days um, to have that high of an OBP. So it's the highest OBP with a hundred or more plate appearances in the last 30 days that George Valera has really, that's another one of those guys has kind of like re-altered his value and people are kind of back on track and back on board with him so much. So if you go and take a look at WRC plus and you take away, you got to take away a couple things. You take away the Dominican summer league players that have like really minimal plate appearances who kind of litter the list here. And then you start to look at players that are 20 years or younger. Well, there's only two that have a WRC plus that do not meet some of those qualifications. Um, in the top would have a 160 WRC plus that's Valera and Volpe. So they've been the most valuable and, and guys I'm taking out are like Taylor Motter, who's 31 years old. He was number three. There's a couple other older guys, Josh Smith with Texas, who's in high a, but 23 years old. I mean, Volpe and Valera have arguably been the most valuable players uh, as far as like upped production for their teams that are 20 years or younger than anybody else. I mean, it's not even arguably their WRC plus is near the top. And Valera has really, really as you know, I've talked about it the last couple of weeks has really re-altered 
his change, and he has been hyper productive over the last couple of weeks. So this is my um, almost famous moment where I'm going, it's all happening. You know, it's all happening. You know, I've been sitting here. I've probably had him rank the highest forever. And people are like, we got to go down, blah, blah, blah. And then look at where we're at now. You know, Valera, 16 homers. I believe it's second in the Indians organization on the season. Uh, the average is ticking up, but he's walking a really, really better amount. In the last 30 days, by the way, he has a higher walk percentage than strikeout percentage. Uh, strikeout percentage is under 25%. Pretty good home run percentage. George Valera continues to pop up here. I told you we're going to talk about some higher guys here for a minute. This is a comparison I, I really wanted to uh, go through because it stood out to me when I saw it. So a couple things. Zach Veen is a freak. We'll just acknowledge it. He's a, he's a freak. 300 average, 400 OBP, 15 homers, 31 stolen bases. Veen is legit shot to be, you know, when once you start adding him to that uh, Anthony Volpe and Bobby Witt stuff, you know, like 20 homers, 20 stolen bases, he has a legit shot to hit that. And then once he hits that marker, you're going to look and you're going to be like, holy crap, you know, he might be 2040 in his first professional season, which I really, the only thing I can't let go of is like, just let's like get him out of here. Like let's let's have a little bit of a run. I mean, I didn't want to kill the kid's confidence by moving him up one level. And that's something I wonder. I wonder if the team, though the Rockies are not known for great development. I mean, I'm telling you, the internal stuff around baseball you hear from people of how embarrassing the Rockies are with their I mean, this is the first year I think ever that they've done a um a complex league. They just don't do it. You could question how they develop players. And you could look at Veen a couple ways. You could say like, holy crap, you know, do they not know what they're doing? Like, are they just going to leave him there and just because they don't know to move him up? Uh, or you could also look at it and say like, well, you know, with just a little bit of time left, he's dominating. Let's just end this weirdish season out on a really high note of confidence for him to go in the offseason. Look at it both ways. But like he should have been out of there because he's absolutely destroying and dominating. So especially with that game he had the other day where he hit like, for the cycle and a grand slam. It's absurd what he's doing. And the power output with the stolen bases, he's also another one of those guys that's walking a crazy amount. I, I made the I made the jump on Veen where I was like hesitant to do it. You know, whatever that means to you. If you just pay attention to my list, he's top 15 now. You know, he's top 15. So I relented to it. But something jumped out to me. And I was, this isn't going to be any negative on him. It's actually more about how much love we give Zach Veen that I still feel there's another player who I have higher and maybe I'm picking at straws here, but I just don't feel like my boy Bob gets the same love that Zach Veen does. And I'm talking about Robert Hassel. So check out these comparisons here. And they just happened to on this sorting I was doing be side by side. Both players at A-ball, I guess you could make the same argument I'm making about like, are the Rockies incompetent? The Padres haven't done this with um, Hassel, I suppose. So there you go. Both players at a ball, both players, 19 years old. Both players have played within one game of each other. Veen has played 92 games. Hassel's played 91. By the way, I'm recording this on Friday. Okay. They're within 13 at bats of each other. A couple more for Robert Hassel. A couple more playing appearances. So here are your numbers. Remember, I would say Zach Veen is universally thought of as better than Robert Hassel. Uh, I, you know, loosely, there's a couple people like me that have Hassel over Veen, but 
I would probably say eight out of 10 people. If I were to put a poll up, I would imagine Veen is going to win this because a lot of people keep doing this Robert Hassel power thing. That that seems to be a big, like completely forgetting, by the way, that like power is a process and power is the last thing to develop. But here you go. Hits. 107 hits for Zach Veen. 114 hits for Robert Hassel. Singles. 64 for Veen. 75 for Hassel. So, you know, that's the power crew being like, oh, there you go. Look, a bunch more. There's 11 more singles. And he had a few more at-bats. Okay. Doubles. 24 doubles for Veen. 29 doubles for Hassel. So just keep that in mind here for a second when we talk about power. Power is going to be the big differentiator for Veen. But five more doubles for Robert Hassel. Triple, four for Veen, uh, three for Hassel. So let's call it a wash. So the homers, 15 for Veen, seven for Hassel. So that's that like big marker where people are going to be like, ah, gotcha, see, okay. And if we gave him the doubles, if we gave the doubles uh, to turn into power for Hassel, just as an argument, I mean, I'm making a point here that I'm doing in my favor because someone could be like, well, why don't you do that for Veen? Okay. But if we did, five doubles gave that, Hassel could be 12 homers to Veen's 15. RBI is very much in favor of Veen. He scored a lot more, uh, brought a lot more guys in. I think also Hassel has been leading off, if I remember correctly. So I just want to point that out, where I think Veen is hitting um, three. I could be wrong, though. Veen, uh, Veen could also be leading off. But I think Hassel's been leading off and Veen has not been. Um, but 72 to Veen, 59 to Hassel. Walks. So remember how dominant Veen has been in walks. He has 53. Hassel has 57. Now here's a big marker. In 347 at-bats, Zach Veen has struck out 107 times. So uh, 107 times for your percentages here. I know I could do the math real quick, but I was just pulling it up so that so I don't screw it up. It's going to be, I'm going to say it's roughly like 28%. This is just off the top of my head as Fangraphs decides to try to quickly load. That percentage would be uh, 25%. Okay, so 25%. So I can't do math. 25% on the year, which is pretty dang good, right? Robert Hassel, 73 strikeouts in more plate appearances. So um, that's going to be, geez, I mean, if that, that's got to be like 18. I'm pulling it up here as well. The 18%, let's say, as Fangraphs wants to load kind of slowly. It's probably going to be like 15% now that I'm thinking about it because I'm I'm about 2 or 3% off on my math when I just try to quickly do it in my head. Robert Hassel, as this pulls up, if it ever pulls up, 17%. So a higher walk percentage or just about the same walk percentage and a way lower strikeout percentage. Um, other stuff in there, they have the exact same amount of stolen bases. That was another big one I wanted to point out. 31 stolen bases for Hassel, 31 for Veen. But check this out, 16 caught steals for Veen, only six for Robert Hassel. And Hassel has a 317 batting average to 306, uh, 308 Zach Veen. So this is not, I mean, I have Hassel over him, but I want I when I saw this, I just felt like the perception was so pushed on Veen. I just wanted you guys to have some of those comparisons to understand how good Robert Hassel is. I've got him inside my top 15. And I told you Veen is 15 on my list because these are the next wave of guys. There's some stuff I look at Veen 
where I go, okay, you know, there's some strikeout concerns. He's getting caught stealing a whole lot, and there's some big adjustments coming out that I want to see him do. I had more questions about the hit tool long term, where I thought Veen was, or I thought Hassel was like the best high school bat coming out, and he's right on par. He's not striking out. He's walking 13% of the time. He's striking out less than 18% of the time. You can see he's got more doubles than Veen. Power's going to develop. He's already hit seven homers. In your pro debut, he might walk out with 10 homers and 35 stolen bases while hitting well over 300, and he might not even strike out 100 times in an entire full season. Robert Hassel is elite. I just want to point that out, and I think at the back half of the year, he's starting to hit into a little bit more power. Another really interesting guy um, on the top name that's really starting to boost up, and I think I mentioned this last week, but... Uh, my boy, Nate Handy, who did an article about reestablishing the first-year player draft and what we got wrong, Nick York. Over the last 10 days, Nick York, 17 of 38, four homers and 15 RBIs, which those 15 RBIs are the most by any any minor leaguer in that span. It's 10 days, but 15 RBIs in 10 days and 17 of 38 is an absurd, absurd number. Um, a couple of the draft guys that I wanted to point out Brady House made his debut, and I've you know been kind of known as like not a big, big Brady House guy. Had the other shortstops. Holy crap! Huge couple days in his first two games: five for nine, two homers, only two strikeouts, also to go with two walks in those two debuts. So back to back days with the homers as he's getting some complex level stuff. This is what I'm talking about when you get the out of sight, out of mind, where a guy like Lawler's not playing, and even to the sake of like lighter not doing anything this year when those players don't go people get restless hey what the hell's happening why isn't hey volpe you know you the guys that have this big production versus the players that have massive talent that aren't doing anything people get antsy and people start to like okay what do i got to do and brady house is one of those players boy if he comes out and he just balls out at the end of the year he's going to really improve that stock back up where i don't have as a top five first year player but if he hits like this we might have to consider it. Khalil Watson, who's been getting some run, tied for the third most runs in all the minor leagues in the last 10 days with 10 runs, so a run a day. Also, he's had two stolen bases, and I thought this was impressive. Five strikeouts in 10 days to six walks. Told you I love his bat speed. I love the five-tool potential in him, and I love that it's not that raw thing. Like He's also a really good hitter. And he's showing that by walking more than he's striking out. Though, you know, remember, complex levels or the, the walk numbers can be inflated at complex levels. It's something to monitor. That's also why, like, when guys like Vera and Casey move up from complex and they continue doing that, that's a big sign of, like, oh, this might be real. And Sal Frelick has been really good. He's kind of been the talk. And this is, if any guy has improved their first year player stock, it is Sal Frelick, who in the last 10 days, 459 batting average, 15 of 32, also has more walks and strikeouts, five Ks to six walks, and five extra base hits to go along with a couple stolen bases in the last 10 days. Power, I think, is still a thing with him, but um, everything else he's clicking and he's doing feels, I think the lazy comp is like Andrew Benintendi-ish, and it's kind of like that, um, and maybe he'll develop into more power. He's just one of those guys to monitor and you know, I think a fun comparison to start thinking about 
it's a little too early to do it, but I know there's a lot of Garrett Mitchell people out there. I'm not quite that, but Garrett Mitchell is kind of fading. Not fading, but he's just coming back off of the highs. Sal Frelick versus Garrett Mitchell. I think it's a lot closer than you guys might possibly think. So those are some high guys. Let's go look at some deeper guys right after this. Thank you guys as always for hanging with me, especially on these solo episodes. I hope it's helpful. I know I can want to cover everybody. I want to cover so much. There's only so much to cover. So I got to pick and choose on the players because I'm also very talky and there's a lot to go with, but I did make the deeper looks a little bit deeper this time. And these are just some very interesting names that have been performing well. And I will tell you, this was one that really stood out as I was just going through and and he was actually going to be rumored to be involved in the Rangers trade. And I was really excited about it because I remember whenever Sim Pereira was an international signee, it was him and Ramfer Salianis, uh, I think at like the same time with the Yankees. And I was really excited about Salianis and I think that has not worked out that Everson was rumored to be in this trade and he's, he's kind of a dude, man. And he's been dude banning it, if you will. On the season at 20 years old in high A, 11 homers, 7 stolen bases, you know, solid numbers, 328 batting average with a 420 OBP and over 1,000 OPS on the year. Now, it's not crazy amounts. It's 128 at bat. So keep that context. And, you know, we're t- we've been talking about guys that have been three, you know, Veen is like 350 at bats and he's got, what is it, 15 homers and 30 stolen bases. Pereira has, you know, what is it, 11 homers and 128 at bats for this season and on his career so far 15 homers but that wasn't I mean he's been very successful in hitting the ball really well but it wasn't what crazy jumped out to me so I was checking out some of the batted ball data for minor leaguers and I sorted the hard hit by a hundred plate appearances because it, it can get wonky sometimes because if you see the you know like 50 at bats or 30 at bats or something like that I just wanted to like bring it down a little bit. I wanted it more sorted out. So I said a hundred plate appearances. Everson popped in at number six in hard hit percentage at 43.8. Here's a crazy one too, but he only had a 6.3% soft contact percentage. That was the lowest contact percentage of any of these guys who had a 40% or higher hard hit percentage. Did you follow that? So any guy that had 40% higher uh, hard hit percentage, no one had a lower soft contact percentage than uh, Pereira. And there's a couple things that I want to look at here and I want to do some sorting. And the second one will kind of tie into this. Here are the top 10 players. So here's another little adjustment I did. Uh, I made one more little uh, quirk here. So I took those 100 plate appearances. I sorted hard hit percentage. And then I did one more thing. I sorted by 21 years old or younger. So we're not getting, you know, the 24-year-old that's in here. We're looking at like the younger guys and what those numbers are look like. Here are the top 10 who are 21 years or older. And let me exactly find where my 10... Okay, that's where my 10 stops. Number one, 21 years old or younger, hardest hard hit percentage, the hit strength, if you will, hit strength percentage as uh, Rotowire calls it. But it's, the, you know, the hard... Uh, with a hundred plate appearances or more, Everson Pereira, number one, with a 43.8%, 50% medium uh, hit strength, as they're calling it. Number two, 
Hyro Pomeris with the Giants, 36.8. And again, I'm using the Rotowire um, uh, under their batted ball data, the hard hit or the hard strength percentage. Number three, Johinski Noel with the Cleveland Indians, 35.6. So Pomeris comes in at a higher, as does Everson. Number four is Marco Luciano at 34.9. I want you guys to follow this. Are you getting the trend here of the names? Like, we're not getting, like, these crazy offbeat names. Like, these are big names. So think about Everson, and for argument's sake here, think about Pomeris is also in there. Noel is number two, or number three, and that's no surprise. I saw him hit a, look like a 480-foot foul ball that I have on camera when he was rehabbing here. Luciano's number four. Number five, Riley Green, who's now at AAA, 34.4. Beautiful. Number six, Anthony Volpe. So again, check these names out. 33.8. Francisco Alvarez is number seven. Is that where I'm at? Yeah, number seven, 33.6. Number eight is Roberto Chirinos, who is actually a Yankees prospect. There's actually three Yankees prospects on here, uh, Everson, Volpe, and Chirinos, and none of them were traded. You know, just an interesting little note. The Yankees traded off, you know, a bunch of guys and such so happens the 21 year old or younger hard hit guys. None of them were involved. Torinos has a 33.3%. Uh, Jalen Palmer with the Mets, who is in, who's done two levels, A and A ball, a 29.4. And number 10 is Curtis Mead, who we talked about at 20 years old with Tampa Bay, a 29.4. So that's that's not a weird list. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I was able to kind of sort it out to, to just hone it in a little bit. Those aren't like anomalies. Those are names that are in there. Now, you know, there's, there's little quirks I would point out with, you know, the rotowire list. Sometimes there might be some players missing. So, and they don't have all the data in every single spot. It's a little bit sorted, but you get what I'm saying here. Everson, Jairo, Noel, Luciano, Green, Volpe, Francisco Alvarez, Chirinos, Palmer, and me. Those are your top 10, 21 years or younger with 100 plate appearances this year of hard hit strength. And even the guys coming after, there's other interesting names. You know, they, they start to get a little bit worse, but you got Franco, Paguero, then it gets into the red a little bit. There's guys like uh, Pejas, Gunnar Henderson, and stuff like that. But that I, I think it tells some of a story about not just Pomeris, but really this whole point was a uh, uh, Pereira because he was the top, you know, he jumped up there and that is a guy that I've made a big move on. And that data kind of, you know, really shows it to you. Now, another little piece here, let me see if I still have this up and I'll get this sorted for you was I wanted to give you the top 21 year old players who had this difference an 85% or better hard hit or hard strength and medium strength. So now what we're saying is this would disqualify Johinski Noel because his soft hit percentage or soft hit strength was 21.9. But Pereira would be number one because his hard hit was 43.8 and his medium was 50. So that is a 92.7% is either going hard or medium. You know, soft is going to, you know, relate to a lot more just bad hits, ground ball, you know, whatever it is. A hard and medium, if you want to start counting those up a little bit more, it works better. So these are players that are 21-year-old or younger. Here's the top of the list. So you have Everson, you have Pomeris, Noel and Luciano are eliminated. Riley Green is number three, 14.1% soft hit. So that qualifies him. Volpe, Alvarez, Chirinos, all eliminated. 
Palmer is number four, only 11.8%. So really how I do this is if a guy has a higher than 15% soft, they're eliminated on the top of this list of 21 years or younger. Uh, uh, Jalen Palmer, I said, Wander Franco comes up on the list. He's number five. And number six, George Valera. George Valera has a 23 hard hit, but 62 medium. He makes it by 0.1%. So your top six, and then, you know, you got to keep scrolling. I think Jose Tania is the next one would be seven. And, um, and, and Guida Santos with Miami would be number eight. I think that is, but the top six, you have, you add Valera and Franco to go with Everson, Pomeris, Riley Green, and Jalen Palmer. So Jalen Palmer is a guy to take a look at as well. Sorting some of those hard hit medium, you know, I like looking at that because that could be a little bit more representative of, again, that future power. You look at a guy, you look at doubles numbers sometimes, and those can be future power numbers. And then you look at 85% or better hard and medium, that might also be a representation if you wanted to compare them against your, um, if you wanted to compare them against your doubles as well, you can really start looking at guys that might be future booning in power. You guys follow me? I just thought it was interesting. Maybe you guys don't. Maybe you do. Maybe you're like, hey, this is loser stuff. But I looked at this and I was like, this really pops a few names out for me in different contexts. You know, it doesn't mean 22-year-olds aren't worthwhile. We could, you know, we could resort this and add 22-year-olds. It's going to change. Well, actually, technically, you know, the one thing I did was under 21 is what we were looking at. So it was like 20 and 19. Now you're getting 21-year-olds that get added to this list. Um, and it it definitely changes. You know, Everson becomes number three, and there's just a lot more other names. But there's some other good ones. You know, Torque all of a sudden jumps up into this list, and he would qualify as one of those guys. Um, actually, here's a very interesting one. If we add the 21-year-olds, is Jordan Adams. Who Jordan Adams has a 4.2% soft strength. He is number five in hard hit strength on Rotowire's thing. That is uh, under 22 years old. He's number five in hard hit with a 58 medium. That's another one of those guys. That's why I'm still high on him, though his problem is he has a 35% K rate. So we could go in and mix and match. It's actually, this is kind of a little push for you guys. You know, if you check out Rotowire and you sign up there, having some of that data can really help you in stat scouting a little bit. And I think you guys would dig that. Some other players, let's take a look at. Dustin Harris continues to dominate. I know um, this is a James guy, but Dustin Harris over the last 30 days, eight homers, seven stolen bases, hitting 380 with a 453 OBP. He had an, uh, now I point out, I mean, I'm, I'm moving up on Harris, but I'm not ready to anoint him top 50 just because of what he's done this year, but no denying, like he's up in that list. You know, he's putting up he's in 2020, all that type of stuff is going to really, really pop. He had an 11 game hit streak. Oh, but this is one of those guys when I was looking that he's, his August has definitely propped him up. You know, he's had one of those like month runs, but he was at like 294 before this. Um, but he had 11 game hit streak up until a couple games ago. And then his last three games, he's been one for 10. So watch that uh, 30% hard hit and only a 15% K rate. I think those are some things that really work in his favor. This is one of those guys where, you know, if you look at, if you have two lists, if you have like the long-term list and then you have the current list, his arrow is way, way, way up over here. You know, his current value probably in trades would probably be like a top 75 because of how crazy he's been. But I don't believe he is worth that in the long term. But also, you know, he's kind of a pop-up guy and that's I, I'm a little bit difficult with that sometimes. 
this is a guy that you got to pay attention to. And I have seen a bunch of, I hadn't reported on it a whole bunch because in the early stages, when I was really focused on this team, he wasn't popping off too much. And then he's really picked up. It is Yosi Gallon with the Texas Rangers who is out here and he has been playing with Maximo and Antonio Caballo and Zion Bannister. To be frank, I was more focused on um, on Zion Bannister here for a bit. But uh, Jose Gallon has completely turned the corner in the second half here, and I'm going to go target him uh, just to get some more video. I've got some video. I've got some strikeouts and stuff like that. But Gallon has turned some of the early adjustments into being one of the absolute leaders in the complex league. Nine home runs in the Arizona Complex League, which is number one. And he's kind of a bigger dude, six foot four. Ten stolen bases, which is top ten. So he has a chance to go double-double in the Complex League. He also is tied for the most RBIs, 33 RBIs in Complex. I mean, he is the leader across the board. He is going to win the Most Valuable Player uh, award in the complex league if they even give I don't even know if they give that anymore they're not even having a championship game which is kind of sad but he would be awarded I think the most valuable player teammates love him by the way everyone's screaming yozzy yozzy when they're out there and I'll try to get some more video for him but uh he is a guy to get on your list pretty pretty quick here because of the the success of what he's had this year uh one of the players I was telling you this is a player I think over in the Dominican Summer League, who could be coming over here very soon and is with, no shock, the Mariners, George Felice. And he has been dominating over there. He has the fifth best. Now, I'm going to give you this number, but obviously knowing sometimes I take away and sometimes I add, I just want to give you some context. Adding Dominican Summer League stuff right now, especially averages, are kind of goofy to do. But... You know, we're getting a little bit more sample size, but I just wanted to point this out. This was the big key one I want to point out. Feliz has the fifth best OPS in baseball, over a thousand. Here's some interesting notes, though. He has a sub 20K percentage in the DSL, which I kind of stands out to me. 350 batting average, three homers, six stolen bases. The homer stolen base numbers you love. Mariners do succeed there, but the sub K percentage I really like. And here was another, if, you know, PS doesn't do it for you, highest slugging of any DSL player. So George Felice is a player that is dominating. He's an, he's actually been a name that's been kicked around for quite some time, um, but he's doing really well over there. And there's a possibility. I'm not saying it's going to happen because, you know, what do I know? And they just added the draft guys. But I think there's a possibility that he could be brought over uh, towards the end of the Dominican Summer League season or towards the end of the complex level to get a little bit of a run. We've seen it before. Rokio with the Indians has done that. I think of any player, him and Baron Laura make a whole bunch of sense. He is a guy that belongs on the top 500 to watch. Um, I got one more hitter, and I'm just putting this out here. He's much older. He doesn't belong on the same list. But Jake McCarthy with the Diamondbacks is ridiculous. Um, in the last 10 days, four homers, two stolen bases, and his overall numbers are, they become kind of like video game-ish, and he's a, he's a pretty interesting player. 253 batting average, but 15 homers, 29 stolen bases. So he's just older Zach Veen with worse average. I know that's a stupid comp, but he's in Reno, he's in AAA, he's 24, and he's got, he's going to finish the season with a 15-30 year um, a three, 333 OBP, like the strikeout stuff, it's just, 
His strikeout and contact issues are part of his problem. He had a really slow start to the year. He hit 211 in May, 179 in June. Uh, he bumped it back up in July to 250, and then he's hit 307 in August. So he had a really bad first half, a really good second half, and he's just got some like gaudy, monstrous numbers. The only difference, what's interesting, is for the most part, his power numbers have been spread out, but he had a really big June that inflated his stolen bases. A third of his stolen bases came from that month, which I suppose that's not that big of a deal. There's only four months to uh, look at. Same thing I did with Veen. But McCarthy is one of those players that I think could get an extended look with the Diamondbacks maybe soon. And if not, I think he'd be out here in the fall league for them to run him again. And I think he can get a look next year. So he's one of those guys, if you're in a bigger league and you're looking for production soon, he's really been on a little uh, tirade. The last things I'm going to leave you with are some pitchers. Just a couple that jumped out to me. I know I didn't. I haven't been doing a whole bunch of pitchers lately. Dre Jamison continues to dominate. Talked about him last week. In August, 27 and one-third of an inning with 41 strikeouts, which again is second in baseball in the last 30 days in strikeouts. I, I think last I told you Brandon Fatt was number one. Dre Jamison was number two. Jamison is still number two in the last 30 days, even take out some starts, and Fat was not. Uh, in that 30-day run time, I told you 27 innings, 41 strikeouts, he's only walked six batters, a sub-2 ERA, and a sub-1 whip. 1.98 ERA, 0.84 whip, super athletic Dre Jamison. And I've seen a lot of other outlets covering him as well, so I think that can you know ease you a little bit on uh, where he's going and how he's vaulting up. Matt Brash was brought up in a couple different instances, and he has been jumping up. It, you know what's so weird? It's like the Mariners have, um, you know those movies where there's like, you know, an alien that's jumping from person to person or whatever. It's, maybe it's Venom. But it's one of those things I felt like all season long, there's just something that is jumping from pitcher to pitcher. You know, it was it was Mako, and then you've, you obviously have had Kirby and Emerson Hancock, but... Uh, I'm forgetting the, I'm completely forgetting the other one. There was Adam Mako and uh, Dillard, I think it was, or Dollard, um, that, you know, each one got these things. And now it's Matt Brash. Over the last 30 days, 28 innings, 43 strikeouts, which I believe was third, I think. I think it was third in that time. Uh, maybe it was first. Uh, maybe I'm wrong because Jay Jamison was number two. So maybe this was number one, Matt Brash. And last, oh, I was looking at, yeah, I was looking at 30 days. Matt Brash, 43 strikeouts with a 161 ERA in this time. And he has uh he's moved some levels. So it's not like a 22-year-old just at high A, which he was. And he had 10 starts. 42 of his innings were at just high A. And he dominated with a 2-5 ERA. But he's better in double A. A 1-8-9 ERA in 38 innings. He struck out 58 in those 38 innings. We'll monitor those walks. But Brash has really, really kind of reestablish himself. He's been really good as of late as well. And he's not doing it at like super, super low levels. He's 23 years old. This would be another one of those guys that I think we're going to see sooner rather than later. And he's definitely on um, the pickup, the pickup list, if anything, where he sits on the 500, I think is a little bit yet to be seen. And one other guy that jumped out to me that I don't know if you guys have uh, fully dove into, but Randy Vasquez, and I don't remember if I've talked about him with the New York Yankees. He is a 22-year-old in A ball, which we like. In the last 30 days, 45 strikeouts. I'm a, So I must have my strikeout thing wrong now that I'm looking at this. Dre Jamison wasn't second in Ks at 41. Maybe I wrote it wrong in the last 30 days because Randy Vasquez in the last 30 days had 45 strikeouts. 45 strikeouts and only six walks. It's very Dre Jamison-esque. 
and he's doing it at double A. Randy on the season has a 2.09 ERA with 111 strikeouts, a 1.15 whip as well. I'm going to look here because now it's pissing me off. Where were my strikeouts? Let's look at the last 30 day marker again. So, okay. So, uh, oh, I, you know what? I wrote it wrong. Dre Jameson was number two because he had 47 strikeouts. I just wrote it wrong. So not 41, 47. Number one was Robinson Pena with the Angels, who's 22 years old. Dre Jameson was number two. Randy Vasquez, number three in that time. And Matt Brash looks like he is number eight in the last 30 days in strikeouts. Intertwined in there, you've got Edward Cabrera, Daniel Espino, Joey Estes, and Gavin Stone. All players, except Dre Jamison and Matt Brash, are 22 or younger. And Edward Cabrera, so that's not that big of a list. But the only teenager on that list continues to be Joey Estes, who looks like he is a uh, real deal Holyfield type of guy. The lowest ERA of the top 10 in strikeouts in the last month goes to Randy Vasquez, 0.89 with a 1.05 whip. So if you want to take that, the highest of all the ERAs is the um, Robinson Pena guy who's the top with strikeouts. So if you're looking to dig a little bit deeper on some of those players, there's some other interesting performances I don't think we need to go into yet. Like Sam Sam Bachman has been pretty good at some of the lower levels early on. But this is a time where I'm not going too, too crazy on the pitching side. Um, You know, we'll we'll push that into a little bit next year. But I'm still looking for performances. I mean, guys like Dre Jamison, frankly, the Diamondbacks players have been popping up. Uh, all over list, but Randy Vasquez, Matt Brash, and Dre Jamison, a couple pitchers you want to look for a little bit deeper. That is it, friends. That is the episode this week. We are going into September, and we're going to get kind of guest heavy, I think. Uh, we'll probably have Arizona Fall League some type of results soon. I think September might be dedicated back to guest episodes because we're finishing out the year and getting some final thoughts. And then we are going to move into a new Prospect 1, a P1 ADP, well, not only will I be doing the the mock drafts, but we'll have episodes covering it. And I'm telling you, that is one of the most invaluable pieces I do. It's also part of the Patreon. If you wanted to check it out and you wanted to sign up, one other piece that's on there right now is you will get the preseason P1ADP. And that might be an interesting look prior or before we do the 2021 P1ADP for next year, or I guess the 2022 P1ADP. But we have the old ADP up. And to see how much it's changed will be fascinating. And we are going to completely reset. So if you want to check out that stuff, you want to be a part of the next one, want to maybe even be a part of the drafts, make sure you're on the Patreon. That is the place where all the stuff happens. Plus, we are going to have, I guess I say it every time, but the next um, big card event we're doing, the Break This League, we might have the, the, the biggest, coolest thing not even just since the Wander Franco helmet, but this one might beat it. It's up for debate, but we might have the biggest thing yet that's going to be up for raffle and then a whole bunch of other awesome stuff. So if that's your bag, patreon.com slash ITL army. You don't even have to like that if you don't, by the way, because all the ranks, the dynasty, the prospect list will be updated in early September. And as well as uh, asking questions, Q&As, live streams, group me rooms, all that stuff is there. And I would appreciate you guys checking it out. Also, get a little Prospects Assemble shirt at InThisLeague.Fans if you guys want to support that and you want to support it. And I'm very, I'm very excited also. You know, this is an underrated thing, but I'm assuming everything goes well. I'm very excited to see some of you guys out here at the Arizona Fall League. I know a lot of people will make treks out there. And one of the cooler moments, I don't have a ton of, I mean, I have a cool like moments with players and stuff like that. I really shouldn't underplay like the cool things I get to do. But one of the cooler moments I remember was from the 2019 Fall League. It just made me feel good 
was I was on the field over in Sloan and I had like three people from the stands like yell to me knowing it was me. And that was cool. You know, like listeners of the show. Like and I remember someone was with their kid and they're like, we were just listening to you driving up here. Like that was kind of a cool moment. I like meeting people, especially people that, you know, are like, you know, listeners and stuff like that. Like that's fun. That's fun to talk and that's fun to meet people that give two craps about what I do. So I hope to see you guys. If you're coming out for the Fall League or the First Pitch Conference, whatever it is, I'll be scouring around and I hope to be able to hang out. Maybe you can wear a Prospects a Simple shirt so I can catch you out of the crowd. All right, friends, on Twitter, at IsItTheWells. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. Have a fantastic weekend. And September is going to rock on Prospects. Don't you forget about it. I'm Welsh. I'm out of here. Bye.